Good afternoon all, Steve Parisi here at IBC Global. I hope your day is off to a fantastic start. It is here and today we've got a special guest, a friend of mine, Mr. Mike Nee. Mike, how are you today? Doing great, just did my one hour holly yoga, feel great, ready to go. Nice, nice. How, how long have you been doing that? Uh, long story, I practice holly yoga for 80 years, competing nationally and even internationally for the past five years. Okay. My best record last year during COVID, I'm number seven in the nation from age group, I'm 52. So you can see there are maybe 50 million men in the age 50 plus. I'm number seven, not bad. That, that's pretty good. There's a lot more I want to ask you about it because I'm not familiar with uh, with yoga and how that works, especially from a competitive standpoint, but I'll make sure we stay on track today. <laughs> Otherwise, I'll talk to you all day about that. Sure, sure. I, I'm not on your level by any means. I went for a run this morning. I feel great, but I'm, I'm not uh, like top in the nation or anything like that. <laughs> Next time, tell your insurance company to get a better rating for yoga. <laughs> we'll do. We'll do. You've got the top rating, so it's definitely working out in your benefit. <laughs> Well, today, um, there's a lot I want to talk about, um, but I think the best best way to start is just with an introduction, if you don't mind sharing a little bit about yourself, um, I can, can kind of lead into it, uh, just to mention that when it comes to, to finance and just, uh, I'll mention personal development and coaching, you and I kind of clicked there. Um, for example, for, for instance, your CPA by trade, uh, you also have a CFP certification, and one of the things that I've asked you questions on before for some advice with respect to my presentation skills um, is your relationship with Toastmasters, um, which you, if you want to go into your certification or level there too, I think people will will appreciate that. Sure. Absolutely. Glad to be here, Steve. Again, my name is Mike, Mike Nee. Uh, I'm a financial professional with 27 years experience, including banking, mutual funds, and uh, public accounting firm, Big Four. The, my most recent current job is uh, the risk manager in the federal capital market regulator agency. So you can see I have covered all aspects. I think that the big thing I, I was drawing into your show, I almost follow your show every day, is you really have a, Steve, you have a good, uh, I call it a growth mindset. And you, you're very open-minded. You constantly improve yourself, including soft skills, technical skills, right, is insurance knowledge skills. So that's just the way, that's why we have a very similar vibration. Uh, talk about public speaking. Yes, I've been coaching young children from elementary school to college level public speaking for almost 10 years. As a distinguished Toastmaster, I think public speaking is very important for young people. They're constantly on the, you know, on the computer, on the iPhone, right? But speaking to influence can be a very good leadership skills. So all connected. Yeah. Definitely. Um, so let me ask something to, to kind of mix your financial background and also the, the speaking background and coaching that you do, um, where you work at a, a large federal regulator agency, um, specifically in the area of finance, which finance, like insurance can be complicated when you get beyond uh, insurance and start looking at stocks, bonds, mutual funds, equities, markets like that. That's extremely complex and way over my head, uh, just to be frank. So like I've got to imagine to have one just being able to understand that is one thing but then two effectively communicating that to someone like me or two other people that you work with um, whoever you have to report to like that that's a skill set that you really have to work on I mean it, it doesn't come naturally I totally agree Steve probably any federal agency 
one third of people are lawyers. You know that, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so lawyers, if you put a number too complicated, you get lost. So you have to tell the story, uh, visualize your story, and tell a message in the most concise and precise way. You can get attention. Um, so that's why I don't enjoy yourself more. Share really what they care. Pay attention to the audience. Got it. Got it. Thank you for that. Okay. Well, why don't we get into a little bit about cash value life insurance? Um, so to begin, when you had first reached out to us, were, had you, were you familiar at all with whole life insurance or any type of cash value life insurance? Or was it relatively new to you when you had first stumbled across, across our content on, a, I think it was YouTube, correct? I think that die about dial back to the pandemic time i started to feel bored why not i pick some new skills i studied the certified financial planning cfp and uh one segment is tax planning right and uh that leads to is only if you look at the tax laws only very few vehicles give you the flexibility the you know swiss and life swiss life a knife type of method tax planning wealth uh, transfer and accumulation you know, efficiency. I think probably uh, cash flow life insurance, especially whole life, is one of the very few vehicles out there can give you that. That's why I come from my CFP study. Then I dig deep, I bought a few books from Nelson Nash to other books, study different aspects. Turn out is uh, when I searched IBC on Google, I found your name and your YouTube, I started to watch and become more educational for me. And something entertaining. Yeah, I like the. You opened the door for me. I really appreciate that, Steve. Gotcha. No, well, well, thanks. I mean, I'm always trying to learn and improve like yourself as well. Well, that, that's interesting. I didn't know that. So the pandemic hit. So I'd imagine you spent more time at home, kind of got bored, so decided to get get your CFP certification. <laughs> that's, that's a lot of work. Um, no, but I mean, that's fantastic. And then from that point in time, so the CFP, then you started to dig into cash value life insurance and just wanted to understand how that product works functions as a whole and such. Okay. Yes, I, I think I'm a number nerd also. When I pull the, your projection, I try to replicate. I try to put my case around different scenarios. And uh, when, probably remember Steve Jobs gave a speech at Stanford University, the graduation speech, commission connect dots. So when you have one thing opened, more dots are connected. I really connect my prior accounting finance knowledge into cash value uh, nature or feature of the insurance policy then move on to a bigger bigger arena so i last year i built like 12 team policies right for the, my whole family i think you've done six of them for me so far i think uh, that's why i trust you so much but again it's for people know we have 30 trillion dollar federal debt right that's a 30 trillion at the federal level yeah. you know, state level look at california look at new york right it's another trillions uh, look at a uh, healthcare Medicare. So the country is heavily in debt. Tax is going up. That's pretty much everybody cannot deny that. And tax definitely influence how you plan your money and the, and the whole life, cash value, life insurance, probably the very few vehicles able to satisfy your need in the future. And I like the part two where you mentioned about uh, Steve Jobs and his speech about connecting the dots. That actually, I, I listened to a part of it this morning just during my run. It came up next just in the playlist when I was running. Yeah, talk about a coincidence. But anyway, <laughs> we don't have to talk about that. Um, what you did mention with respect to that connecting the dots and your finance background leading you to cash value life insurance, like that 
that's how a lot of large institutions find it as well, as they have CFOs, uh, people in their finance department. A prime example is, is a bank that we work with. For a long time, they did not have any bank-owned life insurance on their books, and the, the tax laws changed a little bit, made it more attractive for them. But they've got smart, sophisticated people in there, and they look at different assets, where can we position our money, and similar concerns to what you just mentioned ultimately led them to that conclusion and they did the full analysis and all that, that fun stuff before they selected the different products. Um, but no, that, that's interesting that you mentioned that because it's a similar mindset that large, large institutions have when selecting a particular product and such. Interesting you mentioned that last year, Steve, you also joined. I run a, a youth leadership or financial literacy summer program. One section is about uh, uh, life insurance for young people for financial education, uh, tuition, planning, all this, right? College planning. And I pulled uh, one of the largest banks in the US, around their 10K, turned out is they have billions of dollars parked in the life insurance. That's why I tell people if banks should be money centered, they know how money is managed. They buy a lot of insurance. Definitely a story you need to know why they do that. And definitely there are some good, good, good reasons. For the smartest guys on the you know on the Wall Street doing that, we should emulate or mimic what they do. Yeah, definitely. The people that have it figured out, copy it to to the greatest extent you can. And what are they doing, and how can you copy it? Okay. Well, let me progress into some questions here. Um, when you first started your research around cash value life insurance, right? So life insurance of all things. What are some questions that you had before, and then also after starting a policy that you can recall? Yes, um, as probably you know, the CPA or financial, you definitely look at all the numbers, right? If you pull the top 10 largest, most reliable, trustworthy insurance companies, they've been around for hundreds of years, right? Even before the war, before the civil war. The reason they've been around um, is they have a very prudent, right? Managed managerial and uh, uh, financial, I call the stewardship. If you look at the top 500 companies in the 1950s, you have 500 companies in the, in the US. Now maybe only 10% left, right? All the things are gone because that's nothing is permanent or uh, sustainable. The only shining point is probably life insurance companies, especially whole life insurance companies are doing that. That's why I started to look at the, the dividend ratio, the rating, the financial strength, and especially to know how do they manage their book portfolio up and down. Yeah. Well, and that's something that didn't impress me quite a bit. I haven't seen many people dig into it at all where you'd actually pulled, pulled up one of the major major mutual companies that you do have two policies with and said, hey, here's their bond allocation. Here's what they've done for a long time. But you notice the bond quality it went from AAA down to AA. It just downgraded a little bit. And some bonds are lower quality because the, the pressure for them is how do we continue to drive attractive returns without taking on more risk and maintain strong credit ratings? And that's that's been a struggle for insurance carriers just with the interest rate environment. Um, but I did find that really interesting where you dug into that um, and you pulled it up and showed me like, that's pretty cool. Like, look at their actual books here and the specific bonds, like what they're doing. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, doing that for this is my profession. Really, I think uh, insurance company has been around for many years, including the most difficult time in the war. Uh, they definitely find they have the smartest people. 
one thing I noticed is inflation right now, right? Inflation top of 7%. If you go to grocery store, go to Costco, probably $1 only give you maybe two, three things. That's it. Yeah. <laughs> so now insurance company think, how can I make it my possible to beat the inflation at the minimum, right? You top a 7% return, it's not easy for both portfolios. So they have to do a lot of creative things. Yeah. And where I've seen them start to invest have a more heavy, especially since 2008, I've seen a trend here is they've been investing in, I've seen more higher end commercial real estate, whether that's metro city areas, large multifamily units, typically in, in areas that, um, I don't want to use the word wealthy, but higher income, right? Areas of Florida, Texas, warm weather, and the payments just continue. And then what's really interesting is they're investing in other companies, whether they're investing in companies or purchasing or buying them outright. You'll see venture capitalist divisions at insurance carriers like Mass Mutual, for example, uh, has one. Guardian invests very heavily in themselves as a company into their technology. Um, so they're actually making business moves that can help drive returns north that you could argue are, are a bit more riskier than bonds, but at the same time, you have more control if you're investing in a business and you've got your hands on your hands on it to actually push it forward, which is interesting. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's why a lot of good location houses are chased by, by institutional investors. Also, they bring cash, they buy out of cash. You don't, they don't, you know, the seller don't deal with me because I have to go through all the loan letters, etc. When the banks or insurance kind of come in, they just scalp out a whole portfolio, a whole community. That's that's the reason. I think it makes sense because when all the tax-friendly states, right, retirement havens, right, the, the, the snowbirds locations, yeah, oh yeah, no, no question about it. Definitely. Well, let's talk about the product a little bit. Um, what are some things that you like about the product? And then also you dislike about the product, if anything, call it the good, the bad, and the ugly. Because, I mean, it's the product we sell and, and you know, I talk about it all the time. So I'm going to do my best not to talk today and let you do it. Um, but things that you like and also things that you dislike or say, if the insurance company would just change this with their product, oh, that'll be a home run. Um, that'll, that'll be beneficial, I think, for listeners to hear. Exactly. Um, I think through from uh, Steve, I, I bought the Mass Mutual Guardian, right? And from other agencies or firms, I got a New York Life, some other firms. The good thing is uh, you are very neutral. I, I, if I bring policy to you, a third party, you also give me very candid, uh, transparent feedback. I think that's your professionalism. That's why your work ethics is at the top of the notch. So you don't pr protect your own you know, revenue portfolio. You are really give me uh, educational uh, knowledge. I like that. So talk about products. Things I like is it's really, it's a very solid called a sort of fixed income portfolio investment, right? Because you know how many get, you know this company have been around for hundred years. I'm not going to outlive them, right? This is because I'm, <laughs> yes, one day I'll graduate, but I know the portfolio is constantly graduating, uh, compounding and accumulating. So a pretty, uh, uh, I call it a predictability reliability, trustworthiness, it definitely is top of the notch because that's, and also you can bring the policy easy to a, a commercial bank, they can give you a loan, right? Yeah. That's the insurance loan backed uh, line credit. It's very powerful. Many people don't know this. And um, thank you for that. You introduced me another a bank, uh, Brenda. She's very friendly. I got a loan very quick because insurance company, 
go don't go to the my home equity line of credit or W2. They just quickly go through that because policy is probably the most reliable because backed by all the top-notch firms, insurance companies. Mm -hmm. Things you don't like, I haven't thought about that yet. Um, I think uh, if you really want to say you don't like it, it's people have this uh, herd uh, mentality. Last two years, when the S&P 500 stocks going so high, more people tailor to the index, right? Universal life, because they can see immediate impact. Um, but I, I, my view is, yeah, for young people, for my children, I'll do IOL because they have a long longevity and the time horizon, yes. For me, I prefer more predictable cash flows and accumulations. It really depends on your age cohort and what you want to accomplish in the short term, long term. Got it. Got it. Thank you for that. So often um, what you mentioned where kind of that herd mentality or a feature that people won't like about whole life insurance is if they're looking at the growth and comparing it to the market, particularly in the past two years where it has just skyrocketed when we when we look at it to say, hey, I can earn three to five percent in my life insurance policy like that. It is what it is. That's the net growth rate just as time passes compared to 30 percent right in the S&P 500 if it's 2019, 2021, whenever it might be. And people can look at that and say, hey, I would prefer to get greater returns elsewhere. That's something you see pretty consistently. Yes, as I, I think uh, insurance company being around, they play long-term game, right? Yeah. When you project your life, two years performance, stellar performance doesn't, you understand my point. Yeah. Yes. You got to be patient. I, yeah. I do. And, and you know, how I look at that too is, and, and let me know if you've experienced this just in your world of finance, because you're more, or you're around this on a daily basis, is what happens too much is you have an insurance agent who says, hey, I always look at the long-term game. You've got this predictability. It's going to go nowhere but up. You've got the tax benefits with the cash value and the death benefit, which is a legacy play. And then you've got the stock market, which you can hit a home run in a short period of time and do extremely well. You could also argue over a long duration, you should average between 7 and 8% if you just look at the S&P 500 history. But what happens? Like, First off, I think both options are great. And you know, leverage both in my opinion. But I think what happens too much is people fight with each other, get very strong opinions and say, my option is better than yours. And here's a million reasons why. And naturally, if I come at you aggressively saying my option is better, you're like, no, there's a million things that's, that's wrong with your option and you're going to fight back. And then they pull the consumer in the middle of that and they get caught up in this big argument like, hey, I'm just trying to figure out, is this a good product for me or not? Like, is this a good strategy? Just Tell me what it is and how it works, and I can make my own decision. But I think that to sum summarize, there's a lot of opinions that just people go back and forth, fight with each other, and there's no productive outcome at the end of the day. At least that's how I view it. <laughs> no, I, I agree with Steve. Is um, Just look at the, the picture behind you. You're a runner, right? And you have uh, running on the track and the five miles. It's really not... If you have a strong start, doesn't mean you end strong. So the whole life really have this, you have constantly momentum propelling yourself to the finish line. So even I'm sitting in the deck bed, I'm still knowing this generating constant predictable returns. That yeah. peace of mind, people need that. Yeah. Uh, I don't want it when I enter an RMD, you know, you probably know 401k have this uh, required minimum distribution. If my policy index on something, 
uh, not performing when I need most, when I have all the medical bills, that one will not make me comfortable. I lose sleep, right? The, the, the whole life really gave me this very predictable peace of mind. That's I think that's why it's not replaceable for any other products. Yeah, a peace of mind product. I like to refer to it that. Just leveraging it. I mean, diversifying, if you want to call it with that. If someone likes the market, like my response is, if you've done well, continue to do that. If you're attracted to this, I mean, how people view it, there's typically two categories. One is the guy or girl that says, hey, here's a safe area I can position money. The cash value will grow between 3 to 5% as the years pass. That's likely what it will do if it's set up properly with one of the top companies. I have a death benefit. Some people are attracted to that. A lot of people we work with aren't. At least initially, they express that. And that's okay. It's just, hey, based off of what it is, when everything's set up properly, here's what it will produce. And am I attracted to that 3 to 5% guaranteed growth if things are going well in the economy or poorly? Um, that's the first type of individual. And the second type of individual is the person who really likes the leverage feature, um, whether it's direct policy loans or what you mentioned before with that cash value collateral loan going to a bank. Mm -hmm. I agree. I think the leverage, I think the connect dots is really powerful. I talk about Steve Jobs. Tell you the truth, but probably my, my little dirty secret is I pull a loan from your the, the life insurance policy from guarding or whatever. And I immediately turn around to buy IOL for my child because you can you can use this to use multiple times. You can leverage this and become uh, what they call the uh, repetitive process into flexibility. Well, this is only one situation. You can do multiple things, right? For instance, when my younger child is going to college next year, he wants to go to private college and they're not cheap no. with my income then they probably could not give him anything <laughs> so yeah. i have to think through this and the, and the life policy cash value in it probably very convenient too yeah to pay the bill definitely um so you mentioned earlier that you've got a, a cash value collateral loan set up that you set up with an institution have you been using that a lot did you for example you might have just told me too when you've used it to look at the second policy uh, for your daughter, is that something when it comes to using the policy? My question is, what are some ways that you've used it? Is it primarily been through the cash value collateral loan thus far? So far, I did both. I nice. took it a loan from bank. Also, I took a loan from insurance company directly. Yeah, I did both. For me, I, I just tried different ways to see how flexible it is. Um, that's all pros counts. I think both are good uh, for the insurance. For the bank, it's a little bit inconvenient. Is when I add in or inject more policies in it, or I put second year's premium in it, I cannot immediately increase my uh, capacity. I have a six month waiting period, meaning the bank said, I only reassess your limit twice a year. So which means what? I have to be patient. And, but for insurance company, you can put any time. So that's different, uh, yeah. The conveniences, yeah. And that I'll add too, that does depend on the bank. Um, just different banks out there, some offer lower rates, like the one you have will typically have a very, very low rate. But then the drawback is exactly what you just mentioned, where you can only increase the line every six months, especially when you've got some policies that are very flexible. You can just pour PUAs in anytime you want. That That's where someone might have a little bit of you know, an inconvenience there. Hey, I want to add funds whenever I want and increase my line of credit whenever I want. Some banks do do that, um, and we can I can share any of that info with you um, off record or offline as well. Um, but I like how you put that. So I mean, with banks, the advantage is typically the interest rate when you compare it to the. Go ahead. Mm -hmm. Yes, the rate I got is three percent, you know, from Brenda's bank. 
the, the other good thing is I know the Federal Reserve Bank talked about the rates increase, try to combat the contained inflation, right? If the rates predictably going high, I can call the bank to swap into a fixed rate um, contract agreement. That'll be 5%. So I haven't been that break even point yet, but if you see the rate of going high over my threshold, I'm going to call the bank to change to 5%. 5% compared with commercial credit card is still very, very economical, right? And uh, tell you the truth, I'm an accountant and I have my small business. I have my, my limited uh, liability company, LLC. I pull along to either purchase real estate or do business transactions. You can deduct expenses because they are business loan. Yeah. So sometimes people don't think, oh, even you can borrow a loan from a bank on insurance can be deductible on tax. I think that's just, that's why DAS are connected. Yeah, yeah. I think. I, I like that a lot too. And it, and that just for, for everyone listening, full transparency, when it comes to deducting interest with a life insurance policy so with respect to loans is if you are leveraging a policy with a bank, a cash value collateral loan, and on that bank's paperwork, we check off that this is for business purposes, that's where you can easily generate a tax deduction there because it's an interest expense from a bank that is 100% legitimate. The IRS has no issues with it unless you say it's business and it's not. That could be a different conversation um, versus a policy loan. The IRS does not allow loan interest on life insurance policies to be tax deducted. Um, or I'm sorry, deducted, you know what I mean? I gotta wake up a little bit. Business expense, yeah. Correct, so we can't take tax deductions with respect to loan interest on direct policy loans. Now, I've seen some people do it with their CPAs arguing that it is a legitimate business expense, but at the same time, the IRS doesn't like it. So I'm very conservative when it comes to anything and everything with the IRS. So that's why I wouldn't wanna run that risk to say, okay, we're gonna look at things more closely now, gotta deal with an audit or who knows, like I, I don't want that. So that's where just from a peace of mind standpoint, going back to the peace of mind product, that's where a bank loan definitely has an advantage there because not only is the rate lower, but you can also get a tax deduction there if it's legitimately for business purposes. Mm -hmm. Thank you. I learned, you know, every time I watch your show, I talk to you, I learn something. That's why you are willing to share, willing to educate people. That's just very good. Another thing I can tell is I have a home equity, right? I have a house. I can get a home equity loan, but you only can get that much. Every home equity loan, when you go to the bank, it's all pulling the teeth, right? You have to dig everything, your credit, your W-2, your HOE fee. I'm dealing with that HOE fee. It, 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 it just... Uh, so complicated and time consuming, but uh, I can have four or five policies. Everyone can have a loan in it, right? You can, the, the way to multiply your financial leverage through whole life policies is top notch. If I bring IOL to bank, 99.9% .9 of banks say, no, I'm not doing that because IOL is not that predictable. So bank not comfortable accepting the risk. That's the whole point. <laughs> I, I like the way you put that. Um, you know, and, and on the underwriting piece, when you take a HELOC out or anything, like you said, it's a hassle. Like you've got to deal with all the paperwork, the underwriting. They want everything with respect to your information. Those collateral loans are easy. And I've talked to banks on that before. Banks rely very, very heavily on the, the financial underwriting that insurance carriers do. Just because a lot of people aren't aware of this. Whenever we apply with a life insurance policy on an application, we do give the insurance company to, authorization to do a background check. They look into us, what are, um, what's our income, what, what's our profession and such. And th they do a healthy background check and they know our finances. So banks 
for that reason are comfortable to say, hey, we don't need to dig into all your finances. If you're approved for this size life insurance policy, we know the insurance company already did it. So that's why the vice grips are much, much looser with respect to those collateral loans through banks, <laughs> which is interesting. Interesting. Makes sense. Yeah, I think they, they can save a few bucks for underwriting the process. I think the other thing you mentioned, the bank loan has a drawback is they can cancel a loan anytime. Yeah. Right? When the house market goes down during 2008, they can really pull the loan out of your thing and suddenly you become cashless. Yeah, which no one likes that. Talk about stress, right? <laughs> Talk about stress. Let me ask this question. So with the, I want to say policy, but policies, because you've got a number of them. Right now, if you were to go back in time and do anything differently, would you with respect to the policies? Good question. I haven't, I'm not, I haven't regret any, regretted anything yet because everything goes as predicted. That's why we said all the things they show, what they tell, and then they perform what they promise. That's when I don't have anything. The only thing I can sell is I maxed out my 25%, 25 times income. Meaning if I make $20,000, the maximum I can do is 5 million policies. I already maxed out. So I really don't know where can I go. <laughs> If yeah. you have creative ways, <laughs> let me know. Yeah, we'll, we'll do there. Um, and, and that's why I emphasize the question too right now. It's not really a fair question because whenever we have any type of regrets or, oh man, I wish I would have done things differently, it happens way down, way, way later. So that's why I phrased it right now. So zero pressure if anything comes up in the future, we'll always work to resolve it. <laughs> All right, let's, um, let's, just go through a couple of questions here that will help listeners um, on the life insurance policies, but also just in general with respect to operating a business, finance and such. Um, so right now, how, how old are you, Mike? Let me ask that. 52. 52, right? So you look like you're 32. So keep doing what you're doing. <laughs> so if you could go back in time right now and speak to your younger self, what piece of advice would you give to, to yourself right now? I think I asked you the same question back in the summer. I said, if you do look like, what do you do? You said you are, you don't want to buy a big, big, huge car or to impress people. You don't care. Remember that's already. I do. I, yep. Put this way. When I have two boys 17 years ago, the older one born, I immediately set up a 529 and uh, for Virginia state, right? I mean, Virginia turned out that he's going to private college. So that money become not as private, not powerful. If you go to UVA or William Mary, Virginia Tech, yes, that's par powerful. But if you go to private college, the money really doesn't give you too much, um, what they call the bucket of, of the you know, return. I really want to go back. I wish 18 years ago, you were there if you were born or somewhere in kindergarten, tell me, buy a whole life insurance policy. I probably, that money can be more, much more flexible. And, and 18 years compounding, right? Think of that. Yeah, it definitely. I mean, um, 18 years ago, I was uh, I was pretty young. I was 15 years old. I didn't know anything about cash value life insurance or anything for that matter back then. So thanks for sharing that. I mean, policies that were issued 18 years ago, certainly, I mean, it would be performing quite nicely now. And that's based on historic studies we've done, which I like to look at the actual results. Um, yeah, and I do recall that question you asked me at your event, if I were to go back in time and do the same thing or give myself advice, be not to do stupid things like go buy a fancy car or something like that. Like that, what's that do for you at the end of the day? You know, it's 
I like cars, but it's not really worth it. After a week or two, it gets old. Like, no, just be smart with your money. There's a lot better things you could do. <laughs> yeah, my my son, his high school mate is um, his name last name is Sullivan. His father is a very top official at the Federal Reserve Bank. You know, in the, in the Central Bank of America, Washington D.C. And uh, if you look at people's name uh, in the federal, it's all public. My salary compensation, all public. And this guy quickly, the boy quickly searched my name. For, oh, your dad makes so much money. Why you drive such a shabby Honda Odyssey minivan? <laughs> why, why do I care? I don't just need the four wheels. <laughs> that's it. Yeah, that's pretty funny that a kid looked it up and then asks your son the same question. <laughs> that's pretty good. <laughs> That's pretty good. Um, let me ask this question. Um, and I'm going to phrase it a little bit differently too with your background. Um, what do you think separates businesses and individuals that succeed in business? Call it so call it companies and individuals that succeed versus that those that don't succeed. Wow, that's a very profound and uh, well thought out question. I think you read the book from great from good to great, right? Have you heard his book, Collins? Yeah, I haven't. I, I haven't read that one. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think Shannon uh, can can search from good to great. They search all the top companies. How from a good company into a great company is there very few companies can survive, right? Even you speed General Electric, GE, top-notch firm now become a little bit fall from grace. Really hard to to keep as great. I think same thing with human being as as us professionals. I think. In my view, the probably the three the three things are super important. One is determination. You have to have a goal. You like your on your back of the wall. You have determination, right? You're running. You know you want to do. You don't sleep on it. You don't have the plateau. When you find uh, a stale mo stalemate moment, you find a way to re-engineer yourself. That determination is important. I think second is growth mindset. You constantly think, what could go wrong next? What I'm missing, right? That's why constantly listen to the professionals. What's, what I'm missing? Anything I miss and anything could go wrong. You improve yourself. That's why I, I, I studied CPA. I got my certified financial planning CFP. I also have a CFA charter holder, certified financial analyst and the financial risk management. Uh, even now, last year I took the uh, climate change, sustainability and climate because probably you know that, not the life insurance company, for the property casualty life insurance company, they are huge. Climate change is huge to them. Mm -hmm. Can you imagine? Yeah. Flooded. Pro yeah. Property and casualty. What I'll also add about that, um, to get that that life insurance license just to sell property homeowners and auto, you know, auto insurance, that is a very lengthy study course and it's not easy. Some have expressed to me, I, I've looked at that course, I decided not to do it. My sister-in-law took it and she passed it. Um, but some people have expressed that it's more difficult than the Series 7 exam just because of all the material in there. I mean, it's it's vast, the amount of studying you have to do for it. Yeah, and then that's why I, I really want to think what could be the next big thing. So when you talk about um, constantly have a growth mindset, public speaking, one thing. That's why you ask me, I'll give you feedback. Same thing, if I have something you want to come coach me, absolutely. Uh, that's why I coach kids, coach my children, same thing. Uh, have a good writer, be a, be a good public speaker, a good writer. I think writing is also important for young people. If you cannot write a good business proposal, how can you impress the, the venture capital? Right? Yeah. Got it. Th thanks for mentioning that. I mean, that's stuff I can talk about all day. I mean, the first one, determination, 
and I would just put um the name Tom Brady there, and I think that sums it up. He, Absolutely. yeah, he don't stop. I, I mean, he finally retired, at least for now. If he comes back, I hope he he signs with the 49ers because I'm a Niners fan, and <laughs> that'd be cool to see. <laughs> but every, I bet you every every team wants that right now. But I mean, determination. Like he doesn't, from a monetary standpoint, doesn't need to keep playing, right? He's proved everything. But he just has that that internal drive he's determined if he's going to commit to it to keep pushing forward. And, you know, he's a good good example because everybody knows who he is, right? And it's related to a sport. But the exact same thing applies to business when you take people that start out and grow a business but then continue to grow it, maintain it, and they stay at the top. They got that determination, right? They never, they never take the attitude of, "Hey, we're the best. We're on top now." No, they're always operating as if they're a small company, as if they're still in day one. Take um, now Apple does that. Jeff Bezos has mentioned that time and time and time again. The the largest company, one of the largest companies in the world, and he always stated at Amazon, "We still operate as if it's day one." That mentality of, "Hey, we got to go and put the consumer first. And it's it's a common theme you see. So I've got to read that book from good to great. But that is a theme that I see very, very consistently with well-known business owners and individuals because they've done that. And then they stay there because they continue to to practice. They go through the fundamentals. They don't get lazy, if you want to call it that. Yeah. I really like the old Tom Brady story. My son played high school football, both boys. And um, I print out Tom Brady is eating his food regime into uh, yeah. my uh, the one big uh, paper laminated. When my kids start eating Chick-fil-A, all this uh, sugary water, I said, Tom Brady doesn't drink this. <laughs> I try to use that to inspire my boys. Tom Brady doesn't eat this fries. <laughs> no, he's disciplined as can be. Maybe he's taking some time off now. If he, if he did retire, maybe he's going to enjoy food a little bit. <laughs> but no, he's, yeah, that's impressive. Just the long duration like that is not easy. Um, but the same thing applies to business with a growth mindset too. Like you can't, you can't be complacent. That's where I mean, when people get burnt out or fatigued, in my opinion, is when they start to lose that drive or they say, "Hey, I finally made it to the top," or financially, I'm okay now. That's where you see it sometimes, and they take their foot off the gas. And just from experience and observing people, I'm not gonna. I don't want to say this of anyone because I don't know just through observation is once you take that foot off the gas and take it easy for a little bit, it's very, very difficult to kick it back in gear and start going hard again. Yeah, we have this this from our human nature, right? That's how we do. Yeah. It's very, you are the founder, you grow the company from tone to top. If you start to have that sense, people, your subordinates sense that, then quickly things will be spreading. You don't want that. Yeah, it all goes downhill from there. So it's, you know, do I have to keep going? Yes. Do I have to keep going 100 miles per hour? No, you can get other people around you that can support you and help push it forward, but you can never just call it be lazy and just take it easy. Otherwise, that that's where things go downhill, at least from observation that I've seen. I think role model is if you're constantly improving yourself, talk with the top-notch professionals, your staff will, will will emulate, will follow your role model path, right? Same thing. I'm showing my boys. I'm competing internationally on yoga. I can do 50 push-ups. You know, same why you are sitting there watching your TikTok, TikTok, or whatever. You know, <laughs> iPhone. I just do that. It's just like that. Simple, simple thing like that. Yeah. You gain your respect from your real act, not just pure word of mouth. Yeah. Yeah. No, I I love that. At age 52, you're doing that too. Yeah, that's that's impressive. Um, 
you know, there's one thing that I, I like to say, I always go back to this, I like to say it a lot, is you've got two things in business. The first that you have to have is knowledge. You've got to know your stuff. That comes with time, right? So if I relate it to finance, right, that's a lot of research, a lot of reading that you have to do. You've got to study market trends, market history with insurance. It's a lot of product, edu- product research, company research. One thing, you've got written memos and product details, and you've got company preferences. So you've got to you've got to know it, right? So the knowledge. But then the second thing is actually applying that knowledge, called wisdom, or effectively communicating it. And that, yeah, it's equally as important because if you cannot communicate it effectively, people won't get your message. And if you're in sales, then you're not going to end up. You're not going to be able to sell anything. So that's where it takes, in my opinion, practice rehearse it out loud how do you communicate this in a manner where people will actually understand what you're trying to share and don't think you're some you know mad scientist that you're you know everything but you can't articulate it so no one works with you absolutely soft skills hard skills both of them are equally important you need the dexterity on both sides that's why one youtube uh, you mentioned steve is to be really listen to the audience to the client what do they really want let be a compassionate and attentive listener. That is very good. Sometimes people want to forcefully, you know, spoon force the knowledge they know. Oh, you have to do this. Sometimes clients said, "Wait a minute, this is not in my, you know, in my profile. Why you force me to do that? Right? You just alienate your client, your customer. So listen, and then you pick the most relevant information to them, and also in the most, I call it a layman English way. Yeah." Yeah, I agree. Communicate it to them how they want it communicated. If you try and force feed someone, like if I try to force feed you or, or anybody tries to force information and say this is the way to do it, or they come off that way, like it'll shut most people down or it'll shut me down at least where that's where you can lose the entire battle just based off of, based on poor communication. So it just takes practice in my opinion. I remember yeah. your your painful story. Remember you mentioned you, you flew to Ohio, gave a speech on huh. insurance. Right? I still remember the story. You it know, was uh, Den- Denver, actually. Yeah, Colorado. Yeah. Okay, that's yeah. that's why you show your vulnerability, Steve. That's why you're so humble. I really like that because no matter how successful you are, you show your humility and show your embarrassment. Sometimes people make feel, oh, this is one of us. Yeah. Yeah, I, I mean, I think that's important. I appreciate it when other people do. Um, and, and like my biggest fear, I don't say this a whole lot, my biggest fear is portraying a lack of humility just because I've seen that this happen to business owners um, where they get get involved in business. They have a good deal of success. When you first knew them, they were very humble. They were considerate of others. And then the chest is puffed out. They've got an ego. And, and I'm not judging them. That's not my place. But at the same time, like that is a fear of mine. Like I want to make sure that doesn't happen to me. And part of it's just from, you know, my wife and I are routine, um, daily Bible reading. We try and stay grounded with our, our personal routine aside, aside from just business. Um, but from day one, that's been a fear. So, you know, the instant you think that you've got it under wraps, oh, that's never going to happen to me is usually when it happens. <laughs> can I stop? I need to show you something. I can quickly give me a second. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Steve, I'm back. Yeah. Talk about uh, Steve, uh, humidity. I created last week, created my vision board 2022, yeah. including my health balance diet immediately in the middle. Yeah. Do you see my word? I do. Ready to humble. <laughs> Very nice. Yeah. I'm ready to humble. I have, what do I know? Sometimes I kind of think humidity being the humbleness is very, that's the way 
the good can be great. Right? Yeah. When you have the self complacency, that thing can go can go to the wrong direction. Same thing yeah. with the, any any profession or business. Yeah. Yeah, I, I agree with that, and, and we can talk about that all day. Um, let's let's wrap up with the last question. And you kind of you had asked me at first, or you you led into it with, "Do you have a favorite?" Or I want to ask you, "Do you have a favorite failure?" Failure. You mentioned mine, which was when I went out to Denver and completely bombed in front of the board of that company, lost the deal, looked like a fool. Um, that's my favorite failure because I learned so much from it just with respect to doing the research, listening to the people, communicating, and I can go on and on. But do you have a favorite failure just from your, your life and business? Sure. I was born in China. My whole life is I can do it. So can do mentality. I finished my college, top of the class. I went to the biggest bank in China and came to the U.S. And my biggest failure is uh, five years ago, I went through a very painful divorce, right? It's sometimes I feel I can fix relationship, but that is not like overcome the five mile run. It's just two human beings, two souls. It's hard to hard to reconcile, compromise. I think the big failure I have is really teaching me be humble, okay? That's why I turn to Christian. I re read the Bible every day, try to find, I'm not going to fix everything in my life. I have to surrender my my soul, my life uh, to the Lord, and he take care of everything. That's why I have a very wonderful relationship with Olga. I have four beautiful kids, young, high school, prospering, and uh, growing children. That's why Lord said, you need to listen to me, stay humble, stay simple. And um, that's my big failure. And I think I turned a failure into a... Gotcha, gotcha. Thank, thanks so much for sharing that. More on a personal note, but I mean that... Uh, personal and business go hand in hand every single time. I know there's mixed opinions on that, but they always do. Well, thank you so much. Any Anything else you wanted to add before I just abruptly end? I don't mean to do that. <laughs> so that's that's a very, I call it a professional speaker, Steve. You and Andy always have this open-ended question. Anything else? You That this is very smart. You know? <laughs> I, I think definitely pay attention to tell our young people, especially high school, college kids, because our current system don't teach this, right? Don't teach this. Yeah. The power of perseverance, patience, because whole life is really about the power of patience. You have yeah. to be patient. It is, it doesn't provide the instant gratification, that's for sure. Yeah, well, but young yeah. people don't have that. They chase the NFTs, where they chase all the cryptos. But this thing come and go, we know that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's uh, thanks for adding that. I'm I'm glad you you added that insight. Well, thank you so much for your time. Really appreciate it. I know you've got a million things going on between your businesses and such. Um, but I do appreciate it. Thank you, Mike. Thank you for your time. All right, thank you. Thank you, staff. You're wonderful. Uh, thank you. Likewise, and we will talk soon. Enjoy. All right, bye, Steve. All right, take care.